0: Times of chaos and uncertainty, when the world feels off balance, we look to those who've stood with us from the beginning. Since 1884, we've had America's back. We may get knocked down, but we'll never get knocked out. Still on your side.
1: Hello, friend. You got mail. Welcome to the Hello Friend podcast, all about the show, Mr. Robot. Today, we're here to talk about episode six of season two of Mr. Robot, essentially called masterslaves.aes. Hey, Henry, how are you today?
0: Good. How'd you like the episode?
1: Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts about this episode written and directed as per usual by Sam Esmael. I thought it was incredibly fast paced. I love the story. I love all the cool cliche laugh track references. And then the way it pulled on my heartstrings and, and just made me feel so emotional about Poor Elliot's dad and what happened to him. It was really intense. How about you?
0: I thought it was a very cinematic episode. And I went from kind of initially feeling a little bit like what the F uh, <laughs> is going on. And like kind of thinking like is the whole episode going to stay in this like 80s, like late 80s, early 90s laugh track um, style? Like I was, I was kind of afraid that it was going... be that way Um, and i was wondering how the transition to like a regular episode quote unquote would take place so that was interesting i also
1: had the same concerns i was like on the one hand it's really funny seeing alf and even the opening scenes when we saw the titles run it looked very much like the simpsons opening scenes, right? We saw the nuclear power plants in the background. So I was super excited about that. But I don't know if I could have sustained over an hour of watching that. But the way they intercut not only the USA Network, old school graphics with the 90s-style sitcom, they even intercut that pastiche with these commercials from that era. And it was really pretty seamlessly done, I thought.
0: Yeah. I mean... Man, it made me a little bit nostalgic, right? I'm 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 old enough to feel nostalgic for that era.
1: Yes, I I will have to live vicariously through you, Henry, since I'm only 20. No, just <laughs>
0: kidding.
1: Yeah, it made me also feel nostalgic, especially because not that I was that into the show Alf. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it. But the the person who starred in that role just passed away. So the timing, once again, with Mr. Robot, is rather uncanny. Yeah, a bit eerie. And if you don't mind, I just want to quickly go back, and I know you have this information and you are well aware of this. The title is once again derived from the world of computers and technology. The extension, the file extension at the end of this title, AES, is in reference to a program called AES Crypt, which is an encryption application, and then Master Slave, lots of References to that throughout the show and basically computers, especially old school computers love using this kind of jargon. There's male and female devices, right? We, there we have that. And Master Slave is any device that's controlled by another device. There you have it.
0: And then, you know, throw in clones in the mix and it becomes a very uh, sexually progressive world of gadgets.
1: <laughs> yes. Did somebody say VR? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought it was. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if you've had the experience uh, in the past of setting up hard drives or like CD-ROM drives back in the day, where you had to designate which ones were master and slave. And you know, when you're when you were kind of like trying to optimize performance, you would choose which drive would be master and slave, and choose which bus it would be on all to kind of maximize performance. And I wonder, I haven't really thought too much about the episode in that kind of light, but I wonder if there's some symbolism there as well.
1: I do vaguely remember that time period where you had to determine the quote-unquote master-slave devices, where it was that sort of old school, but I don't know if I ever... Had to do it. I actually worked at one place that was acquired by another bigger company, and then another company acquired that company. And it was at the very beginning of my career. And all of the IT and server staff were fired. And I had to basically help run this entire server farm for all sorts of this giant video game publisher who shall remain nameless even though they're now defunct. Anyway, not that I knew anything of what, what I was doing. I was the equivalent of Angela going in there and literally just turning the on-off switch just to get everything booted up again in the whole place. It was ridiculous. It was like a ghost town.
0: So that's interesting because I remember one of the things that was frustrating about those devices is if you had to set the these little pl- uh, pins, these two pins, you had to set them in the right sockets like there was like I think 40 some pins and you had to set it in the right one to designate it as master or slave and oftentimes it was hard to find the manual or it was hard (laughs) to find documentation and so you would have these devices and you would get them sometimes secondhand and you would have no idea how to set the pin configuration to make it a master or slave Um, that's funny Your, your story reminded me of that
1: I love your story, too, because it's really something that is very much like the dial-up modem, a thing of the distant, far-off past. So when we opened this episode, we were just talking about the flashback where Elliot was reunited with his family. Darlene was in full bratty sister mode. The dialogue was really intense and dramatic. I mean, they were joking about Elliot's dad's cancer, and Elliot's mom was basically punching Darlene at will because she was horrible. Darlene's playing a Game Boy, but on the Game Boy, it looks like it was scenes of Elliot getting beaten up or something.
0: If it wasn't for the laugh track and the the setting, it's really kind of horrific, the things that are being said and done. You know, like it's... It, I, I was thinking at the time that it's somewhat like maybe a symbolism or a metaphor for our current society in that we're surrounded by bright and shiny things and like an increasingly cartoonish... Uh, or animated uh, feature-focused society, and yet we have all these horrific things going on.
1: I hear you. I think that's a really apt description, and who's to say when that really began in our culture, in, in U.S. culture? Definitely that time period showed how it was done. I've been catching... CNN every now and then and some of the cable news networks, and they're kind of doing the same thing, but just it's in a different aesthetic style. It's presenting really horrifying news, but in this kind of even glitzy sensationalist tone, and it washes over, I think, the importance of it in some ways and creates disharmony in other ways.
0: I want my bad news presented in gritty, grainy video footage in somber tones with Black and white filters.
1: Yeah, because there was even the one scene in the flashback where they're showing the different quote-unquote stars of the show and they go to Angela in her character in the opening sequence of this pretend show and she's all dressed in black at her mother's funeral. You know, dark satire, I guess.
0: I thought at the time, and I think now, that it kind of shows the power of soundtrack and uh, like scene and setting. Because if you put a different soundtrack on that scene, uh, on the scenes and the dialogue, and a bit of a different backdrop, it'd be really horrific. Like it would be ominous and scary.
1: I've had the opportunity where I've played around taking different news footage, and I mean, anyone can do this, or I've played around taking different footage and then matching it to different music and maybe changing the speed at that it's being played. And so when you slow things down in slow motion, I mean, all of those aspects of editing, quote unquote, real life or what's presented as real life does alter perception and reality.
0: Yeah. And it totally affects the way that you perceive the information. Like, Like here, like just hearing people laugh at some of the horrific things that people (laughs) are saying kind of makes it a little bit comedic, right? And it's actually pretty horrific. Like when she puts out the cigarette on Darlene's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, that's like, I mean, you know, it's like presented with a laugh track, but that's pretty horrific for a mother to do to her daughter, you know?
1: Super horrific, and I mean, completely came as a surprise. I mean, I know they were making her out to be awful, but just putting a cigarette out on on her daughter's arm that was beyond the pale. And one thing I noticed that I, was interesting was that when Elliot ran into Angela in this pretend scene where Angela was working as a cashier, Mr. Robot warns Elliot and says, "She's one of them." And I thought that was interesting foreshadowing and also the way Tyrell seemed to be in the trunk the whole time for the most part.
0: Yeah, and so I, I was thinking today as I was watching the episode, why do I care what happened to Tyrell? Like he has no impact on, it seems, the current timeline, right? So wh- why do I care what happened to Tyrell? You know, like it's kind of like closing a loop in some to some extent, but it doesn't seem like his fate really matters.
1: I know. I think it's because the actor is, I wouldn't just say easy on the eyes, but I would say he's pretty charismatic and he's kind of evil. And I like having that very visceral evil element to the show, but you're right. Like in some ways, it's being very much dragged out what happened to Tyrell. And I think we're all assuming he was shot by Elliot or something.
0: And put it in a trunk, maybe? Like, yeah. put in a trunk, taken somewhere, and then shot,
1: perhaps? <laughs> I did love when he hopped out of the trunk in this pretend 90s sitcom and was hopping, <laughs> trying to save himself. And then he bumps into the scenery and passes out and doesn't want them touching his Ferragamo
0: loafers. And, and what he was saying as he was hopping away was like, I'm a businessman, help. And I thought that was really interesting that that's how Terrell would identify himself. Because if I was asked to identify Terrell, that's not what I would say. A businessman.
1: Very, very funny. And also speaks to that entitlement that you said that you get from the Terrell character through, through and through. Those guys must have so much fun working together. And then there were some pretend commercials. There was one evil corp online. So the early days of the internet it was very much modeled after AOL Online. They were bragging about their 28K connections. And it was an early representation of hey, everybody, this internet thing is pretty cool. You might want to check it out with eCorp Online, a cool reference to old school
0: technology. And you can actually hear a 288 sound, a handshake in our intro. I put one in there.
1: That's right. This is a good time to mention to our listeners that the intro and outro music that gets used in this podcast is composed by our very own co-host, Henry, which I I personally love. You you spent a lot of time integrating, like you're saying, computer sounds and different other bits of audio for that intro, and it's really special.
0: Yeah, and if anyone who's listening has ideas for sounds that I should incorporate. Happy to do so. Just leave a comment in uh, uh, Facebook or whatever channel you want and uh, we'll try our best.
1: Definitely. What a great time to mention that. And the shot, seeing Gideon sort of reintroduced and having it be lighthearted only for Alf to run him over and for Alf to say, I kill me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gideon. <laughs> Poor Gideon. Isn't that that what you always say? Poor Gideon. Come on.
1: (laughs) It's starting to get ridiculous. Like Gideon's just that that guy who's just never going to win, even after he's dead.
0: It was a bit Monty Python-esque, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Elliot, where we see him basically just suffering in the hospital. We see him in real life. He wakes up from this hallucination, I guess, that he's having. We do find out that Ray's dog died. So she she developed some kind of cough, got some kind of ringworm or tapeworm and died. But the Ray character, he's now become, he's now gone from that guy I remember seeing in Hot Tub Time Machine (laughs) to this really menacing dude. It's amazing acting.
0: Yeah, yeah. To me, it was always kind of there. Um, And before we move on too much further, I just want to I acknowledge the credible attention to detail that I think the writers and the production put into that late eighties, early nineties flashback. Like I was laughing at some of the stuff, like the candy, did you notice the candy in the background, like hubba Bubba. And like, I think like, <laughs> like having Alf was like awesome. And like Elliot wearing jean shorts, which is so classic, <laughs> you know? And, and to me, what kind of like blew my mind was they got a Mustang 5.0. For the car, you know, and it's like that's like the quintessential like time period car, right? Like I remember thinking that that was such a cool car, the 5.0 Mustang.
1: What approximate year do you think they're trying to make those flashback scenes set in?
0: I I think like 90s, like Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 91, 92. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Wow. What was up with the 90s, Henry? Oh, you know what? (laughs) well if you think about the 90s in the the context of what came before like you had the 50s which was somewhat normal then you had the 60s which was kind of getting freaky and then the 70s was kind of its own thing and then you had the 80s which was you know like a lot of you know neon uh, spandex drum machines right and so like the 90s was kind of this transition period like waking up from something
1: yeah waking up and lots of like cut out patterns and really like loose clothing. And I thought Elliot's striped t-shirt, that was, that was pretty awesome to see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that that for, in in terms of recreating that period and uh, attention to detail, I thought they did a really good job.
1: Yeah, totally. Thanks for, having us talk about that some more. There were the subtle things like you're saying, like the candy, uh, the color palette, the Mustang, the, the title cards for the different shows and the USA Network graphics. There's such a 90s feel to it that, it's, it's just so weird to me because, I mean, technically in, in the world, in the span of history, the 90s weren't that long ago. But just seeing those graphics and seeing those conventions and the heavy laugh track and stuff like that. And there were shows that were had grim dialogue, which would have had laugh tracks, and that seemed perfectly normal. And now it seems uncanny and bizarre and out of place But it wasn't that long ago.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I think the 90s are also kind of like the beginning of this mass computing revolution that Mr. Robot really kind of focuses on in terms of where it is now. And the 90s were in some ways the beginning of that. And, you know, Elliot's father says it towards the end of the show when he tells him why he's setting up the show. He's like... We have one and soon everyone's going to have one, right? Like he knew that it was going to be the future. Um, And so I think the 90s also seemed like a long time ago because of Moore's Law. Like 20 years of Moore's Law has like yielded where we are now.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure given all the stories that you've shared and the perspective you just shared now that you can also relate to that idea of being uh, maybe an early adopter on some things you know i have i have my own father to credit I, I shouldn't even mention this it dates me but you know i had a TRS model 80 computer like back in the day and i know we had early game systems just being part of that and having a, a family member like mr robraut introduce that to the kids. And it was a family thing for a lot of the earlier adopters, I think. I don't know if you had that same experience.
0: No, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, have, I got introduced to computers by my second grade teacher, Mr. Malone, who set up a, a computer lab of TRS-80s networked and taught us how to program. And we were in second grade, right? How incredibly progressive was that? Like this was 1980, 81, in a small desert town outside of, uh, you know, Los Angeles County, and like a town of like 40,000, and he had this computer lab set up. He was teaching us how to program, and that's what I learned how to program, uh, my first lines of code. You know, 10 cls, 20 print. You know, blah blah blah. Like 30 go to 20. You know, um, it's it's pretty cool. Um, And so, yeah, like that was my introduction. Like I was an immigrant. And so it was only by kind of sheer good fortune that I was introduced to this by this really forward thinking teacher, Mr. Malone.
1: Teachers and educators really do change lives and have such an impact. Yeah, this episode really did pull on the heartstrings in numerous ways that I wasn't expecting, Henry, because of how it started with the laugh track and everything. I did think some of the scenes with Darlene and Trenton, Mobley and Angela, where they were trying to teach Angela <laughs> how to basically learn a few commands to hack the system. I thought it was funny because it's very realistic how frustrated technically-minded people get when they're trying to teach people computer stuff. Humans are just hardwired to be impatient teaching that kind of stuff, I think.
0: Yeah. And (laughs) I I thought the affirmations that (laughs) Angela was listening to and repeating, I thought that was hilarious. She was, you know, having her like Stuart Smalley moment, you know, (laughs) trying to hack. Like, I'm good enough, darn it. You know, I will hack this thing. Like, that's hilarious.
1: That was hysterical. And of course, Mobley
0: said to Angela,
1: you know, you can't say that when you're doing this uh, evil corp in the very typical nudgy, realistic way that somebody who was really technically savvy might say to somebody who isn't. Which it's surprising she's so untechnically savvy given her positions.
0: Well, so maybe that's why her position was always precarious. All safe, right? Um, maybe. It w- it was the really reality that she wasn't that good technically and was kind of just depending on Elliot to back her up.
1: Yeah, I think there's something to that. She recognizes Cisco when he comes onto the scene, and I'm surprised that she kept that information to herself, meaning Angela. Cisco, however, is in his own trouble with his bosses, at the Dark Army. He was not taking... Orders and just being a foot soldier and not asking questions. Once again, we see somebody else similar to Elliot, don't ask questions, Cisco, you're a foot soldier. So I guess Elliot's kind of a foot soldier now too, or always has been. I did read on Reddit that somebody who saw last week's episode who can speak Chinese uh, said that if the actors are not fluent in Chinese, do not have them speak it because it's apparently really bad. Somebody on Reddit was just going off on it. So I was wondering how well the guy who plays Cisco was doing reciting those words and if it was as well said as the subtitles.
0: Well, yeah, that's always the thing, right? Uh, So the languages I do speak, I'm always curious about that. Um, But unfortunately, I do not speak Putongwa. But I did recognize some of the words that he was saying. So you know, at least from that <laughs> score, I can say that he wasn't saying complete gibberish.
1: I only speak one other language besides English, and that happens to be German. You and speak
0: that very well.
1: Oh, thank you. And I notice all the time that it gets mangled when you see actors speak it. So it, it just makes sense that it would be the case. Like you're saying, it just happens all the
0: time. Wasn't there a movie with Harrison Ford where he was speaking German? <laughs> I, think... I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. But it, it... I know that he took heat for his Russian accent on uh, one of the Tom Clancy adaptations, if I recall correctly.
1: Accents can be very difficult, uh, although it seems like there are a lot of English actors who can do an American accent very well. And they're all on Walking Dead, for example. But that's a whole other story.
0: Yeah. What does that say about the quote unquote American accent?
1: It's, it's true. I mean, not that there is one unified American accent, as I know you know. However, it, it seems like a lot of English actors are pretty able to make that transition. Uh, but a lot of them hire speech teachers. Colin Farrell, when he was in True Detective Season 2, he tried to get an Oklahoma accent in particular, and he worked with a speech teacher for like three months or something.
0: Hmm. Anyway. You know, it strikes me that the guy holding uh, Elliot captive he, he, I don't know why, why I think so, but he strikes me as having a Northeast accent.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can see that, that that sort of clip sound. And it is set in the Northeast, so that would make sense. I get that from Elliot's mother, the actress who plays Elliot's mother. She seems very Northeastern as well. Grace Gummer, who plays Dominique or Dom, she doesn't have a super thick New York accent, even though she grew up in New York. And I keep looking for that with her. She's being told she's supposed to take psych leave. She's fighting that with her FBI boss, who I had to wonder if he was complicit somehow with the Dark Army or something. And then we see Price arguing with the Speaker of the House, I guess, about not bending to his will and, and to summon the New York Police Department, because I guess there are protesters outside of Evil Corp. So we're seeing things escalate, I guess, in terms of the impact of the wiping of the world debt.
0: Yeah, I think we're kind of building towards a climax or a crisis um, for the pl- plot line. Um and I I keep being shocked by uh, the Dark Army's uh, just ferocity, right? Like they attack the FBI. Um, they inject that dude, poor Cisco. They inject his finger. Ooh, what what's up with that? Like, when did that become a thing? Um, injections in the finger. Like that just that made me squirm. Uh, I don't know about you, but.
1: What do you think they put in his finger? Do you have any idea what that might have been?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, what would you, what would the punishment be, right? Because it wouldn't be like a numbing agent because he's obviously in pain. Um, so, what what would you inject into the tip of someone's finger? That I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get that.
1: Uh, well, one way or another, that dude is compromised.
0: Yeah, that just. <laughs> Wow, that just made me squirm. So, I mean, the Dark Army clearly is not an organization to be trifled with. They seem to have their fingers everywhere.
1: They seem completely terrifying. And there's one point where... Darlene and Angela and Mobley were working together to pull off the caper. Darlene's kind of dressed a little bit like Angela and scams her way into a hotel room. She uses this program called Kali Linux, a system for testing penetration into various networks. I was really very much on the edge of my seat seeing Angela go through all these stages of trying to set up the hack and the women's restroom where she's trying to type in on her laptop and get the Wi-Fi set up. And then when she has to go back to her desk and and Dominique is on it. I really love Dom's character. I think she's a great addition. It has like such a good heart as a character. And then on the other hand, she's like a bloodhound.
0: Yeah, she's a little bit like a bull in the China shop, right? Like her character, attributes of her character in other series in maybe 10 years ago would be portrayed by this like gruff, alcoholic guy with, you know, kind of sloppy, but, you know, with a heart of gold and who's tenacious, but doesn't lack his social graces, right?
1: Yeah, she's completely a bull in the China shop with with a heart of gold. We do discover that right now it's, it's around 4th of July because when Angela walked past a, a monitor, we did see an, an ad for the forthcoming 4th of July. So I, I can only imagine that's foreboding.
0: Mm. Um, and before we move on, uh, mm-hmm. I want to get back to Angela packing in the restroom. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, sh- a shot there where the camera is through a slit in the stall. Mm-hmm. right? And for some reason that caught my eye and I thought about it. And it's because we recently moved offices. And... I noticed in our in one of the the stalls in the restroom that there's an abnormally wide gap in the stall, right? And so the fact that you can actually film a scene through a gap in the stall just kind of caught my eye, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's half-assed construction. That's what I call when design says FU because
0: <laughs> what's the
1: point of having a door at all if you can if there's such a gap like
0: that? Yeah, for sure. Just another example of the cinematic tone and feel this uh, episode just really ambitious in many ways from a production point of view what they achieved in in this episode
1: it was hard to see Elliot be in continued pain and to see how towards the end he literally embraces Mr. Robot and says thank you because it finally realizes that in some twisted way I guess Mr. Robot is there to protect him
0: yeah I mean it in the end, Mr. Robot did exactly what he, Elliot constructed him for, to take the abuse and to give him a way to continue.
1: I felt incredibly moved seeing the father-son interactions and then also seeing how, <laughs> you know, you know, part of the moral of the story is when you tell somebody they can... Name something, the first thing that pops in their mind. Be careful what you wish for. I mean, Mr. Robot's a great name, but uh, and I, it totally fits in with a computer store. But I thought that was funny that that's really the origin that of the name is from the mind of Elliot. And that sweet interaction where we find out basically that Elliot's dad's boss, the guy who looks like he's from The Simpsons, so another Simpsons reference, fired Elliot's dad because... Elliot's dad is sick and needs to go to the doctors because he's sick because of where he works at Evil Corp. It's just sinister.
0: Yeah. And, and and it was a little bit bittersweet watching um, Mr. Robot, Elliot's father tell Elliot about his dreams and, you know, seeing his optimism there versus the scenes in season one, where we see Elliot's father pretty cynical I'm pretty angry um, and uh, about to shut down Mr. Robot.
1: I know it made me really sad. And it's somebody, you know, when I first started watching Mr. Robot, it was around the time I lost my father too. I was reminded of that fact because I related all to me. <laughs> it was definitely striking an emotional chord. Also the way that Mr. Robot was having Elliot work at his store and help out. And that is really how Elliot got into computers. And and the way Washington Heights figures very strongly as a metaphor, it's almost like Springfield for the Simpsons. They've been referencing Washington Heights quite a bit the past few episodes this season. I just think it's kind of cool and kind of (laughs) hokey.
0: Cool and hokey, Mr. Robot, season two.
1: I know. Well, I really appreciate all of this wonderful conversation, Henry. did you have any thoughts about where you think things are heading or anything you want to say else about this episode?
0: Um, I thought the you know the show continues to um, day true to its technical accuracy. I thought the way that they portrayed the physical intrusion hack and the way that you know you would use a backup battery backup to power a device and actually physically connect it to a router to gain access to a network is uh, uh, you know very, very accurate. And it continues to to me to set a bar in terms of that.
1: The show creators have commented on various uh, in various interviews, how they'll even go so far as to map the the sound of the the clicks, the keyboard, sounds to what it would actually sound like if you were doing those different activities. And they, as we know, go to a lot of trouble to mock up a lot of those screens too to make those very realistic. So good to point that out. and uh, thanks to the listeners, we have so many more listeners, Henry, than we've ever had before, and it keeps growing.
0: Welcome, it's, welcome.
1: Yes. yeah. So if you like what you hear and you feel like rating us or reviewing us because it pushes up uh, us up in those algorithms, that would be really awesome. Otherwise, uh, feel free to get in touch with us on our Facebook page at the Hello Friend podcast. And Henry, I can't wait to continue this conversation with you next week.
0: All right, Margaret. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Take care. Bye. Bye. A friend of mine told me, try America online. I said, why? I've got a computer. He said, try it. You'll see. It's simple. Every time you sign on, welcome. it tells you if you've got mail. You've got mail. Want to send some email? Type the message. Click here, and it's done. I like this. With one click, I can browse all kinds of great features on America Online. I've gotten help with my golf swing, i planned my next vacation, even get stock price updates every 15 minutes. America Online has over 100 newspapers and magazines, everything from Business Week Online to Cycle World, and I can browse them all. With America Online, you can point and click your way across the internet. And their web browser makes it easy to explore the World Wide Web.